You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, episode 107, Friday, May 6, 2022. What's up, Christina Dennis? Oh, you know, celebrating Friday. How are you, Damon Frank? I am doing well. We have a very special episode today, yeah. Christina. You yeah. are celebrating. I'm just going to give it away right up front here. Okay. Before we go in, Christina is celebrating 25 years of sobriety. Congratulations. Yes, I am. I know. I got sober when I was two years old. It's <laughs> just kidding. Yes. You were <laughs> an amazing. embryo sober. Yes. So yes, exactly. Never, yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> this is a really huge deal. Uh, Thank you. You know, I, 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 I hesitate to say a quarter of a century because you're still very young, but that's a long time. 25 years is a long time. So we're going to dive into how she did it, her thoughts, what happened. Yeah. You know, Christina, you're such a huge member of the Recovered Life uh, community, a co-host on the show, and uh, you know, a recovery coach and expert that's helped a lot of people. So we're going to dive into how you did it okay. in this special Recovered Life segment. Uh, thank you. But before we do that, I want to let everybody know the Recovered Life show is brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like me and people like you. Please keep sharing, liking, following. Leave us a comment. Ask us a question. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can join this network for free and leave us a donation that allows us to keep doing this. Once again, that's info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Christina, for mentioning all that. Look, just that little buying us a little cup of coffee to keep us on air. It, it, it puts a smile on our face and it says, hey, you know what? We're going the right direction and it helps us right. pour more resources back into the show that helps other people. So thank you so much for mentioning that. Hey, look, I want to dive right in because, you know, we were on a clubhouse room earlier this week on a recovered life discussion. And the whole topic was you and your 25 years was most Pretty of it. Amazing. And it is amazing. And, you know, you've helped so many people through recovered life and, you know, through your 25 years of recovery, I wanted to kind of dive in to, you know, questions that people had. And I thought it would be great to just do this segment on it. Um, first of all, 25 years, um, that's a huge milestone. Like what, what's your thoughts on like when you woke up today and you're like, wow, I have 25 years. Well, you know, I, I feel like I might've lived every day of those 25 years. And it also happened just like that. I, I am so incredibly grateful that I had the willingness 25 years ago to say, okay, I'm going to try a different way. I mean, it truly saved my life, but into addition to that, it gave me a life that I couldn't even conceptualize when I was still drinking. Um, this kind of life happened for other people, not me. And so I would have to just say, um, I'm kind of excited, but I'm also really, really humbled by it. Yeah. You know, I think uh, when you look back at something like a huge experience like that, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, this relief. It's like, oh, I've made it there. Right. But at the same time, like you just said, it wasn't easy along the way. Like, mm -hmm. I think people think that, you know, well, obviously people who have long term sobriety and they've been doing the recovery deal, it must have just been easier, um, you know, for a you know, for, for you, it must've right. just been easier for the people who get this long-term sobriety, but that's not the case, right? 
No, I think, you know, when I was first getting sober, I thought about people, if I could even figure out what it meant, I thought they could not have had the life I have. And I will tell you um, that there has been, you know, post sobriety trauma in my life. And it is amazing that people were there with me, but it's also a testament to just being willing to just be part of life, to be right-sized. I certainly have had my share of crashes, you know, in the last 25 years. It's not been easy sailing, but I knew um, at every turn that my life would be so much worse if I picked up. And so I did what people told me to do. I didn't drink no matter what. And I kept coming. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting that you share and what I like about the recovered life discussions that we have, it's a different element than the show. You know, the yes. show's great because it's super informative and we cover topics that honestly, you know, we wouldn't have an opportunity to discuss or people wouldn't have an opportunity to think about, but you know, the discussions are really interesting too, because we go in depth with other people's problems that they're having. Right. And one of the things I've always admired about you is you've been the first to actually jump right out there and say, Hey, listen, I, I am suffering right now, or I have mm -hmm. suffered with that, or I have been through, I, you've been through some very traumatic things during your sobriety, but yet you still made it through. Right. So yes. your openness, I think is one of your, is, is one of the huge benefits of you, right? Like, well, and it's obviously had to help you because, you know, you're honest that the struggle has not always been easy. Yes. And, you know, I, I really realized that if I wasn't open, nobody was going to truly know me and that disconnection that I would have. I struggle with perfectionism. Um, many people who watch the show know that my son was diagnosed at 18 months of age with autism spectrum disorder, and our journey was incredibly difficult. Uh, I certainly have suffered uh, with a lot of uh, family dynamic Recently, my mother passed and we had not seen each other since I was 17 years old. Addiction is a family disease. And uh, I can't say, I know that every time I was willing to raise my hand and say, me too, yes, this happened, I relate, I got healing and the person that was on the other side of it was also healed. Um, there is power in vulnerability. There is power in saying me too. There is power in um, joining. You know, we talk about that all the time in recovery, being part of the herd, not better than and not less than. And uh, every time I've reached up my hand and said, I need help. There has been somebody along the way who had been through something similar to help me. And also when I have accepted uh, somebody's request for help um, and been there to help them, the recovery has been priceless. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I, I have to ask you this question. It's like, and I know that I've had this experience as well, where has there been a time in the last 25 years where you were faced with the situation or woke up and you're like, oh man, I might not get through this. I might not yes. get through the day sober, right? Yes. I'd love for you to share that with people because I think that that's important because I think so many people go through that multiple. I, you know, I've I've been through that multiple times mm -hmm. where I've woken up and it's just like, you know, 
man, I just got to get through the next minute. Now I don't right. even have to worry about the next day. Right. So much. Um, when I first started addressing codependency at a real formal level um, where I was actively saying, I don't know how to manage this relationship. I don't know how to handle it. There were definitely moments where I thought I'll just go out and get drunk and find another person to behave. Uh, but knowing that that was going to playing the whole tape through, I knew at that time that because I had the habit of connecting with people that also were sober, I had that little break, that one little stopgap before I took that drink in or, or started to plan my relapse. Um, I will tell you that there are times when uh, I was isolated due to my son's condition that I felt very, very alone. And I literally counted the minutes until the next day uh, to get to a place where I could make that phone call. Uh, it has been lonely. Uh, we talked about loneliness today in the room and uh, the discussion, the recovered life discussion. And one of the most astonishing facts that I have uh, learned recently is that uh, loneliness actually increases your odds of dying by 45%. It actually shrinks your life. And I will tell you that there were moments during my son's early years when he very much struggled, where I felt completely alone. But I happened to live one door next to my first sponsor in California. And just knowing that she was there helped me get through that night and many nights. Yeah, having people in your life, building this community, uh, having something to look forward to. I think it's yes. great. And you know, and one thing I want to put out here, because I don't want to have cross this negative. I, I bet you would even agree that a large majority of the days that you've had sober have been amazing too. Yes, It's not always a struggle, you know? And I think this is the big misinterpretation with recovery is it's not attractive to people who are in active alcoholic and, and alcohol and drug addiction because they're like, man, everybody seems so miserable. But the reality <laughs> is people aren't miserable most of the time. No, in fact, I think we're really funny. And uh, there's a lot of humor and life and joy to be had. I mean, prior to getting sober, I had no skills on actually enjoying my life. When I got to a recovery program, I thought, put down the drink, and just be miserable. Like literally, I thought that was what my life would look like. But instead, I've had the best relationships. I've been able to travel the world. I've had opportunities handed to me because of knowing somebody or being part of it. I have a lot of joy in being a parent. Um, I have a life that I couldn't even dream of. And I wouldn't tell people the physical cravings go away. There is freedom from the phenomena of obsession often, you know, more. I mean, you said days. I would say even months that things have gone by where I have truly been able to wake up and enjoy my life and be in my own body and know that I'm enough. Wow. That's that's you know what? And, and I think, you know, I want people that are listening to this to know that, you know, we have like, uh, you know, off camera, you and I have a lot of fun just talking. Yes. And, you know, about the, the craziness of this whole journey, right? Yes. Like the journey is a trip, really. Like, I think that's that's the whole thing of it. Like when you look at it, it's just like, wow, I've been on this journey for this long period of time and I've hit this milestone, but the journey is not over. Um, not at all. You know, you talked about codependency and that's such a huge part 
of the work that you do as a coach and a lot of the things that you share on the Recovered Life community. You know, uh, I want to talk with you about this because we've both had this situation in long-term sobriety where there were certain things that had to do with codependency and family members and stuff that just were not healed the no. way that we maybe would have liked them to have been, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a bit of a mystery. I know it's a bit of a mystery to me. I talk with you all the time, like going, why after all the work that I've done, is this particular issue or this situation not healed? And yes. I, I think a lot of times, including me, I say, well, why, why is that? You know, why, <laughs> why is that? It's a wrong question, really. It's more about how I'm dealing with it, obviously. Right. And, you know, what I've learned. So I started my codependency recovery very quickly into my sobriety journey. Um, and I discovered really early that I actually treated my codependency with alcohol. That was how I lived within relationships. They were so scary. And many of us who are in recovery are raised in homes where we did not get our needs met. And it's not that we live in the past, but we must go back and figure out the belief systems that are driving our uh, decisions and that are driving our behavior and start to challenge them. That's really yeah. where true healing comes from. And I think the reason why it's mysterious is because often we don't even question the belief. You know, somebody would say something to me like, "I'm well, I'm doing it for attention. You know, I just wanted attention. And I would stop and say, well, what would be wrong for you to want attention when you're seven years old? Don't yes. most seven-year-olds want attention? And to really question that belief because we continue with the messages that we learn, we continue parenting and treating ourselves in the same manner because we've never questioned whether it could have been better or should have been better. Yes, exactly. And I think I, I think that uh, one of the things is that long-term sobriety does give you is perspective, mm -hmm. right? Is perspective to see, oh, things went down this way and I see it now, you know, about like, though this is what I wanted then, this is what ended up happening. This was the work that I've done. And you start to kind of piece together. It's like, oh, thank God I really didn't get it my way. You know, my way would have been horrible. You know, right. Um, right. I had somebody in early sobriety, Christina, tell me, um, you know, thank God that things aren't fair. Oh, yes. Were fair, you'd really be screwed. Right. Like, Right. And that always stuck with me. It's just like, well, what I think and then what's really going on and then how it ends up all going, you know, how it ends up all playing out are mm -hmm. way different things sometimes, you know, and trying to piece that puzzle together is yes. really where the art of it all comes in. Well, and what you're talking about is spiritual maturity, which comes from experience. Uh, I definitely got the message that if bad things happened to me, it was because I was doing something wrong. It never occurred to me that there are moments in everyone's life where something that is negative shows up and you have to deal with it. I really didn't have that understanding. Plus, I think that one of my favorite concepts out of 12 Steps is the concept of being right-sized. And understanding that I am one of 7 billion people and there are things that are happening in my life that are not personal. There have been moments where I have caused harm uh, in somebody else's life accidentally, you know, not on purpose, not because I was ill willed toward them. 
And so that happens to me. I am a human living a very human experience. And being right-sized refers to understanding that we don't always know, right? We don't know what's really great for us. In fact, when I got to recovery, I had no clue that what I wanted was actually kind of bad for me. Um, because I had such a limited perspective of what joy was and what peace was. And uh, to start figuring out that we can be participants, but we don't have to be in charge, except yes. of our own behavior, is freedom. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, we were talking about the other day uh, on a phone call, we were talking about how you know, looking back, I was sharing something that was going on, uh, you know, with a relative that I have yes. and about the whole codependency thing and about, you know, having that kind of pop up later, you know, for you, it popped up way earlier, the awareness mm -hmm. that, that there was something kind of wrong with this. Right. But it's interesting that these things kind of unfold in, in recovery, just when you think you're done and you've worked on everything, something pops up, right? Of course. Um, for you, what's the, been the big thing, let's just say, like in the last five years oh. uh, in, in your recovery that's popped up that kind of shocked you? That you're like, oh, my gosh, I think I got to work on this. Undoubtedly, it's this ability to uh, enjoy my day without a big dopamine rush. It was first it was this thought process and belief that I had that I was just supposed to know how to relax. Like, right. Everyone knows how to enjoy the spoils of their efforts not true. I was dopamine driven, right? Planning, planning, planning. I was, you know, applying perfectionism to situations wanting to belong, but doing the things that actually pushed people away. Um, I had to understand that my son's journey was his journey, not me. It wasn't me and what I could do for him that actually marked about what kind of great life he's going to have. And I have in the last couple of years, really determined. I mean, this is going to make you laugh, but you remember that television show, House um, Desperate Housewives? Yes. All right. I, I know this is going to be crazy. I'm getting a moral story from Desperate Housewives, but there was a character who was spoiled and having an affair with a young gardener. And he's she's talking to him about her husband and he says, uh, what's wrong? And she's like, no, he gave me everything I ever wanted. And he's like, well, what's wrong with that? And she's like, I wanted all the wrong things. And so I wanted a life that was direct proportion to the amount of effort that I was willing to put forward, right? Yeah. Instead now, I want a life that my God, higher power, has in store for me because I have such a limit on what I think is going to happen. I have such a limit on what I believe I deserve. And so just being able and willing to receive has been one of the biggest lessons in the last five years. You know what? That That's such a huge lesson, I think, for everyone, no matter where you're at in your recovery, is this ability to be able to receive, mm -hmm. right? To be able to also listen and mm -hmm. really truly hear what people are being are saying to you, right? Um, I know that people ask us, we, we, were, we were saying that we need to do a show that is just the common questions that Damon and Christina get all the time on the okay. discussions yes. and like the back channel, you know, because a lot of times people don't want to come on the recovered life discussion uh, or they don't want to put a comment, but they'll send us a message privately. Yes. Right. And like some of the questions, one of the, one of those questions are it always is, is that like, why can't I get sober? 
right? Mm. Like a lot of people ask, like, what's the big, what's the big problem with why I can't get sober? And obviously every different story is different, right? Right. But if you were to say with the people that you're working with now, the what, what you typically tell people when they ask that question, I, I kind of know what yes. I tell people when I ask that question, but what do you tell people when you ask that question, if they're like, Hey, I'm struggling, I don't really think that I could get sober or I've tried to get sober a bunch of times and I just can't quite get it. It never sticks. What's wrong with me? For me, it's the lack of surrender for people, the willingness to give up and be out of ideas. You know, my ideas are not working. I don't know what will work, but I'm willing to quit pushing my ideas forward and try something new. Yes. Yes, that's so that's so great. And, you know, this ability to just I, I always say a lot of it is, is we see this, Christina, when we're working with people is awareness, too, is that mm -hmm. that so many people, I think, and this is me when I say so many people are unaware mm -hmm. of really what's going on with them. Right. They have no awareness that uh, that they are acting a certain way or they have no awareness that they quit on things, right? They they right. might see it a little bit, but it's a little too painful for them. And they don't really want to take a really hard, good look at it because that means that they're going to be something that they don't want to be, right? They'll <laughs> interpret that as it's like, well, I don't want to be that person, but right. yet they are that person, right? And so yes. this awareness, this unfolding awareness is I, I always think is one of the huge things. I mean, you know, look, you could be willing to be sober. You could be willing to not have the wreckage anymore. But if you don't have any awareness to what you're doing mm -hmm. or the actions that you're taking, I think it's hard, wouldn't you say, to really totally. kind of grasp any kind of long-term anything. Absolutely. Self-awareness. That's the one thing I would wish for this world to have is more self-awareness with the people that I come across and, and us as a, as a community. I mean, truly having more self-awareness. I had to concede um, that I was out of any ideas, that I absolutely did not have the ability to fix this problem on my own. I wasn't going to be able to drink like a lady. I wasn't going, I didn't matter what that word meant to me. It, at, the, at the point that I finally surrendered, it did not matter what other people were thinking because I truly couldn't move forward and live if I kept doing that, if I kept holding on to my ideas. So I think that you're right. We have to be aware that we're out of ideas. I mean, we're out of them. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I find this when we're talking about ideas too, I want to jump back to the codependency thing, because I think this is what a lot of people are confused about. And I, I will tell you, I've been really confused about this too. When I first mm -hmm. started talking with you about how prevalent codependency is in recovery, right? Yes. Uh, like you said, you never met uh, a, a recovered alcoholic that wasn't, didn't have issues with codependency. Yes. I think a lot of the confusion is I'd love for you to, to just talk about your own journey with this is that sobriety is very black and white. You drank, you didn't drink right right now. You might not be working on emotional sobriety, but you do have that bar of like, Hey, I drank, I didn't drink. Right. Codependency I think is a little bit more tricky, right? Because it's much more of a behavior. It's in your behaviors of who you are. Do you have to have 
uh, when you're talking about abstinence, abstinence from codependency, it really isn't that, right? No. It, it is much more of behavior modification about how you actually uh, treat and interact with other people. Yes. And ultimately, it's your relationship with yourself that has to be healed. I do believe the term abstinence should be applied to alcohol. That is where it belongs. But sobriety in our behaviors is a lot more difficult to define. If we continue to look toward something outside of ourselves for validation, and that's what ends up happening, we put our needs and wants behind what we perceive somebody else needs and wants. I call it the invisible contract. I will turn myself into a pretzel and be everything that I think you want. But in turn, you must do that for me. And people don't like that. <laughs> they don't like being manipulated. And I mean, think we are sweet people, codependents. Uh, I think that there's a lot of information going on about the fact that codependent behavior like fawning, which is what people would think of more traditionally, is really a trauma response. It's a way to try to control our environment. But codependency comes out in all kinds of ways. You know, you can be a leader and be incredibly codependent with your employer, employees, that they have to act a certain way for you to be okay. And that's really what it ends up being. I love that. I love that interpretation that you give because that's very, very, very clear. And you could see if you're in the middle of that being manipulated by somebody who's codependent mm -hmm. or you are that person who's manipulating, right? Yes. Making people act and do a certain way for you, for them to be able to have a relationship with you. I love how you, how you say that. So Christina, over the last 25 years, when you first came in and you started this recovery journey to now, what do you think has been the biggest change in the practice of helping get people sober or information for sober people that maybe you believed when you first came in or was mm -hmm. practiced when you first came into the journey? And now, what do you what do you think has changed? Okay, it, recently, I would say in the last uh, 10 years, there the awareness of the public has started to shift. And we no longer uh, and are working toward this understanding that addiction is not a moral issue. If you were in recovery 25 years ago at the same time I was, you probably were in a 12-step group. And they clearly explain that this is not about willpower, nor is it a moral issue. We are not bad people. Our brains become addicted to a substance because they're efficient. And for whatever reason, nurture versus nature, we're more prone to it. But it doesn't make us bad people. I also think... Um, that the other thing that we're coming to is it's not a them problem. It's an us problem. Yeah, it's an I us think problem. that the whole idea that um, the family, and I know as an interventionist, you do this kind of work. And we were just talking about this right before the show about how the, how integrating an entire family, because rarely do I see alcoholics that pop up that I've ever worked with, right? that don't have some sort of dysfunction in their family. Oh. There are some, there are some that come from what are seemingly perfect families, right? That uh -huh. just so happen to get addicted and have that alcohol gene and everything, right? And it takes off. But rarely do I see that. There's usually something going on. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting now, you know, we always talk about how 
they're saying now that this whole trauma response situation is really, you know, trying to get out of the pain, right? Yes. It's like trying to find a way out. And I know you explain that a lot better than I do, but it's trying to find this past patterns that were installed in you, trying to find a way out to yes. avoid this pain that you're going to go through inevitably when you deal with the world. Well, I mean, when we use substances to disassociate from ourselves, we're checking out completely. And that speaks to that whatever we're living in that moment, uh, whether it's our pain from past trauma or current situations, is impossible to stay in your body with, and live through it. It's, it's, you know, this belief that we can't get through it. And so that's why we check out. When that gets removed from you, that avenue, you have to be able to have resources and places to go to start dealing with life on life terms. It's an inside out and an outside in job. And that's why the family system has to be involved. Because as you said, you said already, I personally have never met somebody that had a perfect childhood. You know, uh, I've never met anybody who's actually had that and shown up in, in addiction. And so um, taking the shame out of these kinds of discussions has got to be the first step. Like what is going on with the child? What is happening? Now, I was a late bloomer. I didn't start drinking alcoholically till I was 21. But I mean, I should say I didn't start drinking until I was 21. Very few occurrences. But I remember when I had it. And on the outside, even at 27, when I finally did surrender and decide I was going to try to live a sober life, no one would have been able to point to one thing and say, oh, she's one of them people. But um, I guess that's the the lesson is that it will happen to all of us. It does happen to all of us. and And we have to address it as a community not just even the family unit as a community. So, you know, so many people, Christina, um, want a big drastic change, right? They want to go from point A to point mm -hmm. Z. And I know this is why a lot of times you and I are hired as coaches, right? Is because people feel stuck. And I have a whole recovered life discussion around that of just yes. people feel stuck and they want to go from A to Z and they want to go very quickly, right? right. Um, and sometimes that happens in sobriety. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that does not. Um, if you're going to look back on the last 25 years that you've had and you were going to pick a, a decision that you made that you were forced to make, right? Or you mm -hmm. felt you had to make or a decision you wanted to make that really rocketed you to the next level. What was that? What was that decision and choice you made? Uh, moving to California my first year. Uh, that was a decision that higher power presented in front of me, you know, and moving to California and being out of any resources outside of recovery forced me to get connected. It forced me to, you know, I was far away from my family. I was far away from the drama or the past hurts. And guess what? I was still a mess. Like I, you know, I brought it with me. And so I moved the first year of my recovery. And the fact that I was in a new town and needed to stay sober and wanted to stay sober got me good and ready to start connecting with people. So the decision that, you know, first decisions I never picked up. Second decision is I connected and I dug in and I made a choice to continue pursuing recovery and continue to learn how to be uncomfortable or comfortable with uncomfort.
You know, what's shocking is when you say that, Christina, is that, you know, it's funny alcoholism because when we have empirical data and we, we see our lives and we said, when we connect and reach out, mm-hmm. especially to other alcoholics, right? Yes. When we reach out and we do this. We know that our life is so much better. We know so we much. can get out of whatever we're in if we do these very basic, simple things. But alcoholism and our mind will tell us, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right. Like it's like, it's funny because I remember I was one of those people who had the committee that was Mm -hmm. sitting and talking to them on the shoulder like a cartoon, right? Right. The devil and the God, like sitting there, blah, 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 always having Uh a conversation. But it is truly like that sometimes. It's like, it's so, it's so strange that, like, after all of time, and the exact same thing happened to me uh, a couple weeks back where I was like, oh, I'm feeling kind of lonely. I feel like I've been working too much. I haven't really been connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first thing that came to me was like, oh, you should connect with people. The second thing that came to me is that's such BS. Why are you going (laughs) to do that? That's such a waste of time. That's not going to work. Do it on your own. Right. And that's, that's the, what comes at me. You know, it's like, why can't you just do it by yourself? Why are you so weak that you can't do it by yourself? It's so funny how these voices come back and it's, it's, those are things, you know, some of them, I will say some of the committee has retired in long-term sobriety, but I still have some founding members that are there talking to me to this day. Contrary action. That was what I was taught. Contrary action. Um, pray and do the dishes, these very simple concepts that when uh, my old belief systems, my critical parent, uh, the thoughts that I had about this is only happening to me, happiness doesn't show up, good things don't happen, you know, you better just get used to it. I would have these other habits and other voices that could take over and say, that's sweet. I know you're trying to protect her but you're not helping her. So let's move her into another place. Uh, let's connect. It is it is a struggle. And I think denying that it's a struggle is, is a disservice. We all feel that struggle where we need to connect, but we self-protect instead. And that doesn't help. Christina Dennis, this has been a really great episode. Number 107, Friday, May 6, 2022. We'd like to wish you, you a very happy 25 anniversary 25 year anniversary it's a huge deal it's a Mm. huge accomplishment and we love you and we're very very proud of you and i know guys if you want to reach out to christina dennis say hi give her congratulations as well it's really easy you can connect with her on recovered life you can become a member for free and it takes less Mm. than a minute and it's such great content is there i'd also like to give a shout out Uh, people are wondering how can i be part of these recovered life discussions that, that you and Christina are hosting on mm-hmm. Clubhouse. And these are replayed now on the podcast and on our network. It's really easy, guys. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Become a member. And we've got a full calendar there of everything that you can participate in. So please join us at recoveredlife.us. Christina Dennis, any final thoughts on episode uh, 107? Yeah, don't pick up. Don't pick up. Your life is so worth fighting for and you don't have to do it alone. There will be people who will help you along the way. So that's, that's what I want to say. Stay recovered, stay in recovery so you can continue to live. Thank you so much. And with that episode 107, Friday, May 6th, 2022.
in the Thank weekend. you. Bye, everybody. Have a good weekend. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.